0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. And uh, welcome, all of you. I am. My name is Terry Jank. I'm a pastor here at White Ridge Baptist Church. And uh, this morning, as Pastor Kevin shared, we're finishing off the uh, the book of James, getting ready for our Advent and Christmas season. And um, I just wanna make a a few uh, connections with you concerning something that we have been kind of birthing this fall. It's called neighborhood groups. And um, uh, yesterday the task force met and we uh, recorded the training session that we had hoped that we would be doing uh, live uh, and in person. And so I just wanna give you some timelines for those of you who are neighborhood group leaders, uh, just so you know a little bit of what to expect. So, uh, yesterday we recorded the training video, and uh, Lord willing, tonight, uh, those of you who have agreed to be neighborhood group leaders and some of you who are still uh, exploring that are going to get an email uh, by, by uh, this evening, and uh, you'll see on that email various documents, but there'll be also a link uh, in that, and you can uh, go into that link on YouTube and, and get the training and our prayer is that uh, you will find that very helpful as you uh, step into this uh, ministry. And if for some reason you have agreed to be a, a neighborhood group leader and you don't get the email by tomorrow morning, please uh, let us know because we will, uh, we will fix that. Then um, all week long, you have the opportunity next, this coming week to, to view that video and then give us any feedback that you have as leaders. And then next Sunday, the 29th, um, we hope that that will be our formal launch. And uh, we will actually, any time after, after next Sunday, all of you who are connected to our church family uh, should be getting a phone call in the coming week after that, uh, the first uh, week of December. And uh, we'll be introducing the neighborhood groups uh, to, to you, the, the leaders of those groups to you. And so, um, God willing, we will enjoy an Advent and Christmas season very much uh, together uh, in spite of this COVID-19, and that uh, we will be having Christmas in the neighborhood, whatever that looks like, and you'll find the training that we're giving has many practical suggestions on that and what it could look like. So before we go further, let us just take a moment to pray and commit uh, this ministry to the Lord as well as just to pray for the message that's coming. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that we get to be your people, and we get to to be part of the ministry that you have on earth. We pray it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we want your glory, we want your kingdom to be known here on earth, and we want to be part of that. And Father, as we take this moment to Pray for neighborhood groups as we embark on this journey together. We pray blessing on this initiative. We pray, oh God, that the body of Christ called White Ridge Baptist Church will really take a deeper step into caring for each other. And we ask you, Lord, to just give us the love that we need from Christ uh, in order to to do that extra bit, Lord, whatever that looks like. I know you're going to knit many people's hearts together. I know that you're going to connect many people that otherwise would be estranged. And we pray that that will happen. And, Lord, that you'll add that extra element of your Holy Spirit fellowship, koinonia, that will add uh, not just a connection on a horizontal level, but also a connection on a vertical level in Christ. So we pray for neighborhood groups. You'll bless them. bless all the leaders that are gonna be training this week. And Father, may they find this training video very beneficial. And Father, we, as a church, we just wanna pray for our city and for our province and country. Lord, as the COVID-19 pandemic increases, as we anticipate that it's gonna swell even more, enveloping more lives in isolation, in, in, in illness, and in some cases in death. Oh God, we know that this infliction of this pandemic upon many, many households in our province is causing grief, is causing sorrow. And oh God, we pray that you will enable us as your people, equipped with your Holy Spirit of comfort, to be those who come alongside and bless, and help, and encourage, and pray for those that are suffering. And Father, may we uh, also be good citizens to do our part in loving our communities, to, uh, to, to be careful in, in how we live our lives. Father, would you help us? We pray for an end to this. We pray, oh God, that as we enter into this cold winter, that uh, you'll enable us to live under this as we've been talking about, to persevere under this for as long as you allow it to be here. And then, Lord, in your good time, we pray, oh, please, soon would you lift it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And, Father, we ask you as well that now as we open your word that you might <clears throat> give each person individually the Holy Spirit's presence to help apply, interpret, apply, and live out what this means. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in the book of James, as we come to the final chapter and portion, we have been noticing that James, the elder James, this person that is a leader in the church in Jerusalem, writing to all the scattered people from the persecution that took place in Acts chapter 8. They're all over the provinces of Judea and Samaria. And now he's writing this letter, and he has already addressed so many matters. And now at the end of his letter, he finally comes to the subject of prayer. And that is the way he ends this letter to the church. The late J.I. Packer had said this. He says, How we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. So we are entering into some deep waters here in terms of what spiritual formation and maturity look like, the subject of prayer. Packer said that people feel a problem about prayer because of the muddle they are in about God. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about that muddle. And in fact, as we, as we look at this subject of prayer, it should help us to clarify the muddle as James, this seasoned church leader in the first century writes about it, I hope that you'll notice that he's getting into some very important things in just a few verses, big subjects. You'll notice that he addresses really three kinds of prayer in James 5, 13 to 20. Three kinds of prayer. Prayer for yourself, prayer of the elders, and prayer for one another. We're going to be looking at these three kinds of prayer. But before we look at them, just for a moment, I just want to clarify that as we address prayer, we are talking about one of God's regular channels. So if you think about that, God's regular channels that he uses to, to interact, communicate with, grow us up as his followers, this is one of God's regular channels. That means that it's one of the mainstream ways that God wants us to grow in our faith. Prayer, in other words, is one of the big three, actually, most people agree, that are talking about growing disciples for Jesus Christ. Prayer is one of the big three. Let me read to you what um, David Mathis writes in a book called Habits of Grace. He says, God has regular channels the means of grace, those well-worn pathways along which he is so often pleased to pass and pour out his goodness on those waiting expectantly. So God has his mainstream thoroughfares, his, his main events, his channels that he loves to pour out grace upon. And then he goes on to say, and the chief thoroughness thoroughfares are his word, his church, and prayer, or he puts it another way his voice, which is his word, his body, which is the church, and his ear, which is prayer. If you, as an individual believer, are not involved in these three ways, these three means of grace, how God pours out and channels his grace toward you, if you are not regularly in the scriptures, if you are not really integrated and and interacting meaningfully with other Christians in the church, and if you are negligent in prayer, then you you are cutting off the lifeline, the channels of grace that God wants to pour into you to make you firm, steadfast, and build you up and mature you in your faith. And so James has already been talking about these three In chapter 1, he said, hey, don't be just listeners of the word. Do it. Be doers of the word. And in terms of the church, he says, you know, uh, don't show favoritism to to one another somehow. You know, and he says, don't don't, uh, gossip about each other. And he says things like, bridle your tongue. Be careful how you speak. Build everybody up. Don't tear them down. He's been already talking about the word and the church, and now he comes to the subject of prayer. The goal of prayer, Charles Spurgeon says, is the ear of God. So let's think about that. We have, when we pray, the ear of God. Can you imagine the Almighty, the creator of all that is, the one who is right now in heaven, the one who is by his spirit dwelling within us, the one who went to the cross, Jesus Christ, Who died and is now at the right hand of God interceding, it says, "At the Father. We have the ear of God, the triune God. And so James says, let's bend the ear of God in three ways. Let's start by talking about praying for ourselves. What does that look like? In chapter 5, verse 13, James says, writes about praying for ourselves and he kind of starts with some diagnostic questions he says is there anyone among you who's suffering put up your hand if you're suffering (laughs) it's kind of like that and then he answers he says he should pray and then he goes on and he says and uh, by the way is anyone cheerful anybody put up your hand if you're cheerful yeah and and he says well let him let him sing songs of praise now notice that james is talking about two polar opposite extremes he's talking about sadness and gladness suffering and and glee and joy happiness the word literally means good cheer good passion and i think the reason that james does it this way is he's he's trying to say that prayer this this habit of grace is for the worst of times and for the best of times and for everything in between that's what i think james is presenting and so whatever your experience your circumstance however you're feeling whether you're suffering or whether you're glad and everything in between pray pray and praise it is your birthright that's what the bible teaches did you know that John 16, 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you, Jesus said. Paul in Romans 8, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, falling back again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. We cry, Abba, Father. That's prayer. We cry out to God. It's, a, it's part of our birthright. Prayer is the birthright of those born of God. It's our, it's our right of those who have been adopted into God's family and given all the family blessing. And so, if you're not in touch with this habit of prayer, then you are missing out on a very important ingredient of being a child of God. So, prayer, first of all, James says, is, is for yourself. Jesus says, when you pray, go alone in secret, and your father who sees in secret, he'll meet you there. He'll reward you. The second kind of prayer that James talks about is prayer of the elders. He says in in, uh, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the word for elders here is the word presbyteros, presbyteros. Now, I want you to know that James is not suggesting that if you're sick, that you just call anybody in the church who's over 60, <laughs> you know, the older ones. James is not suggesting that. In verse 16, he's going to be talking about praying for one another. That'll come in. But no, right here, he's talking about elders, in, and the, most often in the New Testament, this word, presbyteros, is used for the office of of an elder, the position, the formality of a leadership position in the church. In fact, there are three words that are used of this same office in the New Testament. There is this word elder, presbyteros. There is the word episkopos, which is the idea of a bishop or an overseer. And then there's the word of poimino, which is shepherd or pastor, and as far as we can tell, most people agree that these three words are used interchangeably for the same office of pastor elder, those that are entrusted with the authority of leading a local church family. Now of course, there's the other word that is used of organization in the church, and it's the word deacon. Diaconos is the idea uh, literally means servant. And so in the New Testament world, as the early church was starting, the deacons were given to the church to assist the elders in the management of church. And we see that start in Acts chapter 6, of course. So here is James. James is instructing on prayer. And after he said each of us should be praying ourselves, for ourselves, and so on, he then goes on to say, and then there's this kind of prayer that is for the elders, the pastors and leaders of the church to pray. And if you're sick, that would be a good time to call the pastors and leaders. Now, obviously, if every time someone had a runny nose, the pastors and leaders of our church got a call, we'd be pretty busy people. But actually, the, the word that is used here, asphaneo, is the word a word that means feeble and weak. It is actually used in the New Testament, for example, in the Gospels. It is used of those who were so, so weak, so unable to live on, them, on their own, that people carried them to the marketplace and set them at the doors of, of places so that they could beg. And they earned their living by begging. People with a crippledness, a, a disease, a severe problem. And James says, if you're sick in this way, call the elders and let them pray over the sick person, anointing them with oil in the name of of the Lord. Now, of course, over the years as a pastor, I have had several opportunities, several calls, where I have been called to go to the hospital, go to a senior's residence, go to a home of somebody to pray over them and to anoint them with oil, just as the Lord commands us in this scripture. I can remember on one occasion, uh, it was in Thunder Bay, it was one of my first times, maybe second or third, that I did this. And in Thunder Bay, um, a man who had cancer 15 years earlier had been free of it for 15 years. His name was John. His wife's name was Carol. And uh, 15 years earlier, they they knew John was dying of cancer. The doctor had not given him much hope. And uh, they felt led to call the pastor at the time in that church, and the pastor at the time Uh, gathered some of the leaders of the church. They went up to the hospital, and they prayed over John, and they anointed him with oil. John told me that a few days later, he was discharged. They sent him home because there was nothing more they could do. And as he was walking in his house, somewhere between his bathroom and his bedroom, he felt this warm sensation pulsate through his body. And... He knew that God had done something in response to prayer. And, of course, uh, the next checkup, uh, there was no sign of cancer. John lived 15 years cancer-free. Now, fast forward 15 years. Now I'm the pastor in Thunder Bay, and John's got cancer. It's come back now. And all of us knew their former experience. All of us knew John and Carol's story. And as John got weaker and weaker and weaker, we we wondered, why are they not calling us to come and to anoint and pray over John again? And they didn't. And John died. And I did John's funeral. And sometime later, I had a chance to visit Carol. And I said to Carol, Carol, why didn't you call me, call us we would have gladly come and prayed over John and anointed him with oil. And you know what her answer was? Her answer was this. We just felt that it was God's time for John. We just felt that it was God's time for John. And I was, I was impressed with this incredibly settled resolve or peace that, that just knew the plans of God at that time that were different than 15 years earlier. Now, there's been several times in this church and other churches where we have anointed, prayed over people that have been ill. And you know, I must say that in, in the, the norm, the norm that I've experienced is that people don't get better physically. And we have to think about that. Does that mean that something went wrong? Did, did we pray wrong? Did, did we not use the right words or the right formulas? Well, James suggests there's other things at play here. In fact, James suggests that the, the purpose of pastors' call to pray and anoint is not solely for a physical healing... But indeed, and if it doesn't occur like it's a waste of time, far from it, James says. No. In verse 15, the very next verse, James says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now that has to cause us some pause and step back from the text and look at what James is saying. He's shedding light on other reasons for this prayer and anointing than just physical healing. First of all, one of them might be that, that God, in the midst of us, gathered around somebody and praying on, over them, that God gives somebody the prayer of faith in that moment, which I believe is synonymous with this idea of the gift of faith. Have you ever been in a situation in a prayer time where you're praying about something and you just know that you know that this is meant to be, that this is God's will, and you have something rise up within you, you have the prayer of faith, and you say, God, I'm going to ask you in Jesus' name to do something miraculous. That happens. The prayer of faith, God gives it. It's not based on somebody's uh, individual merit before him super saint in fact james is saying no oh, this is for everybody and and notice also that james says that this prayer anointing encounter with the pastors and leaders could also be for a spiritual healing he says if he's committed sins he will be forgiven interesting you know the shorter catechism uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Again, it's, it's not a current document. <laughs> it was written in 1646. But I love question 98 says, what is prayer? <clears throat> and the answer is this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins. And thankful acknowledgement of his mercies I find it very interesting that the authors of this shorter catechism several hundred years ago believed that basic definition of prayer includes the confession of sins that somehow this should never be far from the lips of any follower of Jesus keeping short accounts with God it would appear that this is important enough to put it in the very definition and and of course it makes so much sense how how can we go into the father's presence with prayer this idea of petitioning our father for something while we are hanging on to a smoldering disobedience as if we can hide it from God So this open confession, this this open book to God is a natural part of prayer. You see, the word confession, it literally means to say the same thing as. You've done something wrong, well, say the same thing as that. Or God says he's convicting you of something you've done, well, say the same thing. Just agree with God. That's what confession is. You're just agreeing, God, I know that I have had that awful attitude God, I know that I gossiped that day. God, I know that I looked at something I shouldn't have. God, I know. I'm just agreeing with God. That's confession. And uh, these authors uh, in the Westminster Catechism said, that's that's part of prayer. And that that whole idea of confession leads us to the third, third part of praying that James identifies, and that's praying for one another. Now, I want you to notice that he he takes he, he intentionally moves on from the prayer of elders and pastors now he's talking about prayer in the church for one another and i want you to notice the freight that he is passing over that one another prayer that we see in this passage verse 16. verse 16 james says praying for one another he says confess therefore your sins to one another and pray for one another Notice he does not say it earlier. He's saying now, when you're with the pastor, make sure you confess your sins. The Catholic Church does that. They say go into that little booth and talk to the priest, confess your sins, and then come out and do your Hail Marys and Our Fathers and you should be good. No, it's saying, no, this this is something, not just with the pastor you can do this. You should be doing this on a regular basis, walking in the light with each other. He says that He says, do this so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Praying with one another, for one another should be a central part of every one of our lives. I want to encourage you. If you do not have someone in your life, another believer in your life, that you can pray with, out loud pray with, at least once a week, I encourage you to find that person. Those of you who are married, you should be praying with each other out loud. Those of you that are not married, I encourage you, have a friend that you you get on the phone with, you get on Zoom with, whatever you do, and you pray for and with each other. The history of faith's advancement, the kingdom of God advancing, is all about the footprint of praying people all through history. And I would uh, commend to you a little book by Timothy Keller called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. Uh, there's certain features that I liked in this book that maybe you, you wouldn't like or, or so on, and the, the features that I liked is that he quotes from seasoned saints of the past. He quotes from John Calvin. He quotes from Martin Luther. He quotes from um, Augustine or John Owen, and he tells the stories of how they prayed and how they learned and taught others to pray. And there's this especially interesting area of the book where he talks about how Martin Luther would uh, get a haircut and a shave with the same man every, every uh, regularly. And this man's name was Peter Beskendorf. Now, it's interesting because while he was talking to, Martin Luther was talking with uh, Peter Beskendorf during the shave. This is back in the 1500s, so it wasn't like a, a razor electrically plugged in. It was his, this was a, a flat razor, you know, getting all that stuff. And, and he's talking to him about prayer. In fact, R.C. Sproul has written a little book that uses some of the principles of prayer that Martin Luther taught his barber. <laughs> and he put it into a little book called The Barber Who the barber who wanted to pray. You can go online and you can look up some of these things, and uh, there's a portion of it that talks about a simple way to pray. You can go online and find Luther's comments on that. But this Peter the barber was was sort of a devout man, but he was actually a fairly crude man. He had trouble with the drink, in fact, one story that's told of him is that he, he got so intoxicated one evening he stabbed his son-in-law. And, and he would have been exiled from that community except that the priest, Martin Luther, went to bat for him, interceded for him. He was allowed to stay. And so let me just read to you a li- little excerpt of what Martin Luther says in the simple, he, he put it all in a letter form to this barber sometime later, and he, he talks about um, talks about the priests who, who, the priests who stand in the pulpits and they go on and on with flowery language and they forget what they're saying and they even repeat themselves. And, and, and he says, don't be like that. You've got to pay attention when you're talking to God. He says, they jump from one thing to another in their thoughts and when it's all over, they don't even know what they've talked about. And then he goes on. And I, now remember, he's sitting in the barber's chair and he's getting a, ha- a haircut and a shave and here 's what he says to his barber. he says, "So also a good and attentive barber keep his thoughts, attention and eyes on the razor and the hair, and does not forget how far he 's gotten with his shaving or cutting. if he wants to engage in too much conversation or let his mind wander or look out the window he 's likely to cut somebody 's mouth or nose or even their throat. Thus, if anything is to be done well, it requires the full attention of all one 's senses and members, even as the proverbs say." He who thinks of many things thinks of nothing and does nothing right. How much more does prayer call for concentration and for singleness of heart? (laughs) So that's Martin Luther speaking about prayer. Keller also goes on in the same book to describe how prayer is for one another because even the way the Lord taught us to pray is not a private prayer but a one another prayer. It's a prayer with each other. Our Father, he says, not my Father. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trust, but lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. He says that, Prayer is not strictly a private thing as much as we can. We should pray with others both formally in gathered worship and informally. Why? If the substance of prayer is to continue a conversation with God and if the purpose of it is to know God better, then this can happen best in community. And so Keller encourages us in this regard as well um, to press into God with each other as we learn to pray we notice that verse 16 not written to pastors but this confession of sin to one another is a key for the healing of the body if we get isolated we get sicker we can see that with COVID-19 in a very very sad way and when we get caught in secrecy or in shame when we lose walking in the light with other trusted brothers and sisters we get hurt and uh, the enemy captures us but when we bring that into the light and when we confess our sin and we, and we walk together in this way healing takes place healing takes place the prayer of a righteous man he says not a righteous pastor or priest or board member no but the power of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective and so um bonhoeffer the in his book, Life Together, also talks about this power of confession. He says, through confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him or her. We hear this so often, don't we? In fact, just just this morning, I got a, a text from... Steve Morris, who is leading the Seven Pillars group, and he just tied into this passage knowing that I'm teaching on James 5:16, and he said that the Seven Pillars has this, this um, quote in their material from Pure Desire Ministries. Sin that has not been dealt with leads to shame that drives us to secrecy and hiding. The consequence of this sequence is that secrecy always creates isolation. And isolation always leads to separation. Shame is the glue that holds this pattern together. Shame keeps you from truly resolving your sinful choices and away from the very people that God has placed in your life to help you to resolve those things. Isn't it true? And so God God gives us each other. He gives prayer and he gives us each other to pray with and for so that we might be healed. We are foolish not to make use of this precious gift. Let's move on to verse 17. In verse 17, we read uh, the passage that Kevin read earlier uh, in our service. Elijah was a man just like us. Here's another translation. Elijah was a man with human frailties just like all of us, but he prayed and received supernatural answers. Did you know that... um, Francis Chan's favorite verse in all the Bible, whenever he gets asked this, Francis Chan's favorite verse in all the Bible is James five seventeen, And the reason he says that is because he says, I'm, I can't believe it, Elijah was a man just like us and God answered his prayer, that means I can pray boldly too. And so we ought to. We should pray boldly. God did not listen to Elijah's prayer because of some merit in Elijah, because of some super saint status that he had arrived at. And that's why James says he was a man just like you and I. As we think about this whole scripture, I want to conclude with four metaphors that I would like to share with you concerning what James is teaching on the principles of prayer. And the first one is that that, uh, prayer is... The spiritual glue that holds the local church together (laughs) Uh, a few weeks ago I referred to the Brooklyn tabernacle the church that prayer built is what their motto is they could see it in their history praying for one another is so fundamental every chance we get praying for one another and I believe that um, as we get into neighborhood groups this winter I believe there's gonna be more prayer going on for one another Prayer on email, prayer on the phone, prayer on Zoom. And God willing, when, when these restrictions lift, prayer on walks outside and, and so on. And um, so prayer is the glue, let's remember that. Secondly, prayer is the spiritual gift to every believer, not just super saints, I've just referred to that. Um, do we make use of this privilege, this gift? It's, it's given to every one of us. The child that knows Christ can pray as powerfully as any one of us can. Prayer also is a spiritual appointment for the believer's regular checkups. And uh, I was reading about Augustine and his influence on prayer as a subject. And um, there was a, a woman, again, I love these letters that go on in the ancient world, and it was a woman that wrote, saint augustine because she was troubled in her in her prayer life she didn't think she was praying properly and she was a woman that was a noble woman from rome and she writes to augustine her name was anicia faltonia proba and she exchanged letters on the subject of prayer and, and and in in the first letter the first principle of prayer that augustine shared with her was this that before she could pray she had to be a certain kind of person. Now, that really tweaked my attention when I saw this. It wasn't in the mechanics of prayer. It was in in the certain kind of person that we need to be. Here's what he says. He says, You must account yourself desolate in this world, however great your prosperity. The scales must have fallen from your eyes, and you must be able to see clearly that no matter how great your earthly circumstances become, they can never bring the lasting peace, happiness, and consolation that are found in Christ. Unless you have that clearly in view, your prayers may go wrong. Interesting. What, what Augustine is talking about here is this bent, this tendency that is in every human heart, that, that our affections of our hearts can become sort of disordered, mumbled, jumbled, mixed up. And so what, what we should love as third or fourth in our heart's affections somehow sneaks up to the top and God gets displaced. God, the supreme one, gets displaced and goes down on the list. He says, you have to become the kind of person that loves God supremely and your affections cannot be disordered. Interesting. And he says that Otherwise, prayer could become self-oriented and little more, and here's the wording, little more, your prayers could become little more than worrying in God's direction. What an interesting phrase. Worrying in God's direction. That's what sometimes our prayers sound like. <laughs> they don't really, not really come into God in sincerity and truth. And you just, We're just worrying in God's direction. God doesn't want that kind of prayer. And then finally, I want to suggest that prayer is not only a glue, a gift, and a spiritual appointment, it's also a rescue station for the wandering soul. Look what uh, is said in verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know this, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word for wandering here is the same word that was describing the planets. The Greeks used um, this word for describing the planets because when they started to discover the planets, they, they just figured they were floating, wandering balls in space. And so, similarly, what, what, what James is saying is that if one of us as believers wanders away, Floats off into the world, into, into something that's, that's d- just dangerous for their souls. We who restore them, we, we, we save their souls, perhaps. We, we cover a multitude of sins. We save them from worse grief. And I think that in the context, James is obviously talking about that it's our prayers that win them back. As much as our talking so I want to say to you that if you, are, if you are even in these years praying for a prodigal son or daughter, you're praying for someone who you say, well, they once seemed to walk the walk and talk the talk, but now they're, they're wandering far away. Don't stop praying for them because God, God can restore them. God wants your praying to be part of the solution. Well, brothers and sisters, we have had a a wonderful journey in the book of James, and you can see from, um, from our puzzle over here that we have studied perseverance and obedience, love and good deeds. We've studied wisdom. We've studied the importance of wholesome speech and humility. We've talked about what it means to be fair and just. And we've looked at patience, and today we've talked about prayerfulness. And uh, I'm going to ask Mel to turn uh, this over to install the, the last puzzle piece on prayerfulness. And then I want you to know that uh, Tom Griffin made this apparatus, and Lisa Mendes uh, painted all these uh, things, but Uh, unbeknownst to you perhaps, uh, she first of all painted uh, something on the back that we're going to show right now, Mel, if you wouldn't mind. And um, it's a painting that uh, she painted before she did the puzzle pieces. And uh, what I'm going to do is um, we've got Lisa uh, that came on and, and recorded not only an explanation of what this painting means to her, and this whole exercise but she's also going to pray for us today as we conclude our service um, she's going to pray for us that we will be a praying church so let's let's listen to lisa now as she shares
1: hi my name is lisa mendes i am the artist that worked on this painting for this series we've been looking at in james alongside with tom who did the construction for it so this painting as we just revealed it shows the tree and the reflection in the water this image that we've been seeing throughout the sermon series and my take on it was that this standalone tree this black silhouette tree represents us whereas the reflection in the water with all the bright beautiful colors represents how we're supposed to be really showing the love of jesus and how we need to be reflecting more of this out in the world for people to be able to see It's really hard right now because there's a lot of difficulty going on. It's easy not to be able to um, reach out and be compassionate and show that love. But really, we're supposed to be beacons of light in this world. And uh, we need to be able to show that love to each other, show it to our our neighbors, show it to strangers on the street and uh, just reach out and love one another. So that's kind of the idea that um, I had behind this painting. Let's take a moment and uh, say a prayer to God. Jesus, thank you so much for the sermon series that we have had through James and that we're able to uh, uh, learn so much about you and the things that we need to be able to reflect better in our lives, especially when it comes to uh, being prayerful and uh, praying for other people because prayer is the most powerful thing. And uh, we just really give our lives to you and uh, we just really pray for the people who are hurting right now, for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for complete strangers that we don't even know Father, show us how we can be a better light in the world and how we are able to love our neighbors better and uh, we just really ask for your presence among us
2: Can we find a friend so faithful Who will all our souls Knows I am. Bread. do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've made a way through Christ for us to know you and to experience you with joy. And we thank you that because of all that, we can approach you with boldness and with confidence, knowing that you hear us. And I pray that as we go from this time, we would also serve you and obey you with boldness and with confidence from a place of rest inside of us, knowing that you are the one who gives us everything that we need and you are the one on whom we can depend. Bless us as we finish this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.